I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Months we did this thing where we used to start the podcast with what I would call it the most important question. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd bring it back. I've not used it in a while. Your song Buzz starts off with the lyrics. I woke up at thirty three, watched the trailer for the new Christopher Nolan movie. So I thought I'd ask, have you seen Tenant? And if so, what did you think? I haven't yet. No <laughs> man, I was like, I didn't even know movies were open yet. But then my friend was like, go to the cinema, watch it. I was like, are we allowed of the the movies? But yeah, no, I haven't seen that yet. But he's told me it's good, and I need to watch it at the movies. But I'm looking forward to it. The trailer doesn't make any sense. I have no idea what it's about. Yeah, I don't know. It looks cool, though. He, he's not let me down yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. What's your favourite Nolan? Man, I definitely rated Dunkirk. I thought that was sick, because it kind of just came out of... I think that was the movie that Buzz was about, actually. So that was good. And obviously the whole, like, Batman movies. I never liked superhero films, just apart from those. Like, And obviously Joker, like, Heath Ledger's, like, character in that. And he's from Perth, he's a local boy. So, yeah, that kind of got me into it. And then I was like, oh man, like superhero films. And then nothing else has beat that. So, yeah, they're pretty good. And I always go back and watch that. Is it The Dark Knight Rises? Is that the one with the Joker? Uh, just The Dark Knight, I think, yeah. He did Shutter Island as well, didn't he? Like back to back with Inception. Nah, that... Was it not him? Or was I it... think that was Scorsese. Ah, uh, that was true. I was at Inception, then it was like, they both came out at the same time. It was like DiCaprio playing a character who doesn't know he's that character, <laughs> which is pretty cool. It didn't have to uh, change <laughs> change much for the role, so it was good. Two for one. Yeah. What about yourself? What, what, what kind of Nolan films are you into? I don't know which one I'd go for. I feel like it, maybe it's a bit basic, but Inception. But then I, did, I guess when I was growing up, I remember when I was 15, Memento used to be like my favourite film. Oh, man. Memento, of course. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, yeah. yeah. Man, Guy Pearce and that. That, was, that is really trippy. That's a good movie. Yeah, I showed my girlfriend that the other day, and uh, she usually hates sort of movies that are a bit more like art house kind of stuff, even if Memento's art house, but she was like, what's going on? And then at the end, was just like, whoa! And so we were like, all right, sweet. Now sort of, that movie kind of got her into it. So yeah, trying to get uh, a couple more f- films in that direction. Like Richard Linklater, trying to get through to, um, what was the, the Scanner Darkly one he did? That's a hard watch, but it's a sick movie. 
Oh, that's the, creepy as fuck. Yeah, the one where it's like all that kind of great, cartoon though. animated stuff. Yeah, because I love how he's got Waking Life, like um, the Before series, like Before Sunrise, and they're really good movies. And then did School of Rock. <laughs> like, that's also his, like, his number one grossing film. You're just like, all right, but that is a banger of a movie too. I always forget that was him. It's such a working up yeah, outlier when you look at everything it else is. he's done. Yeah, what a brilliant career. And then School of Rock. Oh, I just stuffed my toe so hard. Oh. All right. That's good. I don't know. I got excited. I'm going to put it in the gap here. <laughs> that was pain. Oh. All right. I'll be Quincy for the rest of this. <laughs> I was watching the music video for Buzz as well today when I was doing the research for this with the the, oh, yeah. the grown ups. Oh, man. Yeah. That, well, it was supposed to be Dadnet. We sort of had these people who were like, oh, like, maybe we, we shouldn't um, just keep it about dads because of all the sort of male connotation or whatever. And we needed some females in it too. And we were like, but Dadnet made so much more sense. So just be like, all these dads sent out. And then uh, we kind of got scared. Or our manager at the time was like, now nah, you've got to change it to adult net. Which kind of made it like kind of this grim level. Like the adults are being sent away. I just thought it was way funny if it was just the dads got sent away. It's <laughs> just like useless. But, but yeah, it would have been it would have been better. But that, that, that video took like, uh, John did it on about a four grand budget. So that's $1,000, $4,000, which is about 2,000 pounds. And broke his two thousand pound camera halfway through shooting. It was on this tripod on the, in the fields, and we just watched it in slow motion, just go, and we were, he was just like, "Oh my god!" And we felt so bad because he was just like working for free pretty much after that. We're like, "All right, maybe we'll give him some beers or something." But they did well. Oh, man. Good man, John. You would hope a two grand yeah. camera could last more than just falling over in a field. Yeah, I know, but it was like because he set the tripod up so high that it was like, "All right, we're getting this long shot of the valley," and we were just walking away. But I think that he learned his lesson. He's like always pegged down your tripod if you've got a poor grand camera on the end of it. What does a good music video like have to do for you? Because the videos you guys put out tend to be quite like kind of separate entities in that way. Like they're going to do their own thing. Yeah, I, there was a point where I, I don't know, like almost did not like music videos because it's something that you're not really in control of. So and I suppose when you're sort of um, starting out, Everyone always puts out a really bad like music video or something. So I think that's why we went with animation a lot because you can kind of get away with a bit more without using like $10,000 or whatever or £20,000 and being like, all right, and doing all these special effects. Like animation is already, already kind of cool. So that was a good way that I think we managed to do the music videos. And even now using um, Ollie Jones for the claymation. It's so sick. It's such a cool style that... I mean, there's so many, so much work that goes into it, but at least he can work day and night on that and not be like, oh, you've got to go and do this film set up and we've got a whole camera crew and lining crew. And, and then it turns out to be like, at the end of it, you don't like it. You're like, man. So I'm sort of in two minds about music videos. I'd much rather just have animation. And, and of course, because we're all fuck ugly as well. So uh, no, <laughs> no one wants to see our faces in any music videos. But yeah, I think, I think the way to go is animation. That would, um, it just, it feels better. It's more to watch anyway. What about yourself? Do you like a good... Uh, I think the 90s killed it. Sorry, I'm like complete, I just asked you a question and stopped it. But the 90s, you know how like they just set the bar on like these mad music videos, like Nine Inch Nails. and I'd always watch Kerrang! when I got home from school, like in England. And so when they're like, yeah, we're going to do this, when you're driving in a car or whatever, you're just like, you can't beat the 90s. Or even just the... T- like, yeah. Did you ever see the video for what was that blur video? Was it Coffee and TV with the milk carton kicking? Yeah, up? that's sick. That was that was like a stop animation one, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking that kind of reminds me of the same style as um, 
uh, b- b- the one from Mr. Prism. Oh, yeah, 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 the claymation. Oh, yeah, the little donut kind of looking guys. <laughs> Man, yeah. that, that was great, yeah. No, I think that video is brilliant. But they would have, yeah, they would have stupid amounts of budget for those videos. They're almost like little movies, weren't they? Yeah, little short films. Because now there's not really too many programs, like, if you've... Uh, there's Rage here in Australia, but I think that plays at, like, it used to be every, like, Saturday morning. It might still be every Saturday morning, but it's usually now, like, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Like, the primetime music video thing has just been redundant. And uh, and I don't know if anyone even watches music video, apart from going on YouTube. But... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like MTV's kind of turned into reality TV, hasn't it? Yeah, most, exactly. Most the so the idea is. of a music video is almost like this separate thing where you're just like, well, we've just made a song and then you've got to try and back it up with another completely different like form of like creation, which you're not good at. And so you're like, okay, now you're a musician, but also now you're a film editor and a director and like do this, where at least like if you had like a... We're making a movie. Back to Christopher Nolan. I'm sure he doesn't score his own music. He's like, I've just made the made a made a movie. They're like, all right, now it needs a soundtrack. He's like, oh fuck. So do you guys always come up for the with the ideas for the videos, or do you do you get other people involved as well to collaborate? Yeah, we chat we chat them through. It's usually just like um, a one sort of Skype call or a little phone call with whoever's directing it or making the music video. And I find it's way easier to let someone just run, be creative, and. Just say like you if you kinda here's the main idea or the gist of it or where it's gonna go, but like don't use that as too much constraint. Like just be be yourself and because it's so much more I suppose enjoyable for the person that we're working with to not feel like they're doing it as a a task, if that makes sense. Like they've almost got to feel like it's their project and and then come out because I remember doing design or like graphic design a few times for some clients and the more you sort of had creative reign on a project, the more you just wouldn't even charge for hours or whatever because you're just like oh, I feel like I'm enjoying doing this rather than being like we want like I don't know if it's so detailed then it's too hard because you're just like all oh, right I've got no room to sort of maneuver so yeah like Ollie Jones for instance I think we would just like build a world where this character goes into a sweet land and then ends up eating everyone and he was just like all right say no more so yeah and everything all the character development and designs he just shoots through like a little uh, drawing of what they're gonna look like and so we yeah face mad you're just like yeah go with it man that looks sick so we've got him actually for two more singles so it's going to be like um a three-part claymation for the for the single releases for the album so the next one will involve it will be a bounty hunter who eventually will have to go get alice so it's sort of all the same world uh, yeah which i thought it was kind of good we were like thinking about music video ideas so it was like, why don't we just get ollie again and just put it all together as a three-part series so i think it would be fun the good thing as well with lockdown everything happening at the minute you can Still shoot animation. Yeah, like exactly. Like a massive set full of people. Yeah, well, he actually lives in Birmingham. So he was saying that halfway through filming Mr. Prism, all his, they had like a heat wave, so all his clay was melting. <laughs> and he was like, I can't do anything. Like, his clay is just melted. Uh, I was like, just film that. That'd be even funnier. Just all the, all the models. It'd be quite disturbing. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that video, yeah. It's such a trippy video, though, for that, for that track. Was that all recorded like throughout kind of a lockdown as well? Or were you, is that because it was done in your home studios, right? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically, I mean, well, call it a home studio. I think this is it. I'll just show you my setup. It's literally the most primitive little focus right thing. My speakers, a Mac, and then I've just got a pile of guitars and I've got a little Vox amp down here. Pedal boards. I got that one from Fender and then another couple of pedal boards. But uh, man, it's so, 
really, it's the same setup I've had for uh, like part one, and then have kept it because I think like yeah, there's not too much budget to be like let's go and buy all these compressors and whatever. So I was just like, all right, if it's working, and then just do a lot of like um, post production kind of bits and pieces, but. Yeah, we've got a friend Sam at Tone City who we've been recording with a lot more. I mean, his gear is it's stupid. He's got all the like Abbey Road sort of um, EQs and compressors and I don't even know what they're called, just weird things that make stuff sound good. <laughs> You're just like, all right, well, it's a different world, isn't it? I just got sort of so focused on writing a song and then at the end of it, you're like, all right, now we've got to record it again to make it sound good when... I should probably be like, all right, I'm going to start with the guitar sounding good or I'm going to start with this sounding good. So be a lot easier come the end of the track that you started off writing well. How does the song change then if you go into a bigger studio like that? Like from what you, you're kind of going in with? Um, so I take the stems, like the guitar stems or on the bass and vocals. And I usually just have like little MIDI drums that I've made. Like I've got a machine. So just put like kick on that one, snare on this, hi-hats, whatever, just build a kit. It's usually, it's called like an old jazz kit on machine, but it sounds sick. It's just got like the best snare sound. So usually do that and then we take out those drums, send it to Danny who we go into the studio and we sort of be like, oh, well, it's basically like kind of a finished idea, but then sometimes it's like, well, that's actually impossible to play because I only have two arms and you've got these bells going and everything. So I'm like, all right, sweet. And then we work on kick patterns and basically get that drum sound and as close as we can to be able to play it in real life. And then I sort of go back. Usually keep the bass, because the bass is like, I really like the sound that just going through like this shitty focus right, it's like got zero kind of tone to it. So it's basically just normal. So if you do put it into the computer or whatever and you just chuck it through guitar rig, and then I take the cabs off all the amps, so you're just left with the raw sort of signal, just sounds so like, wired and fuzzy that it's like well and it's perfect because it's di so instead of setting up an amp and going into get the cab tone for an amp like a bass amp i think most people these days would be diing stuff so if you're going into a studio and then diing everything you might as well just do that at home so i suppose that what studios should do at the moment or are you using all their gear as well but it's much better to go in there and get some warm amp tones and do, do it properly that way but drums for instance like that's the one thing that I think if you can get a really good drum sound like then it's so much easier to just stack on top of that rather than getting the worst drum sound and and then you're trying to fit everything together backwards so which is what we do <laughs> how you don't want to sound is right what's that kind of sensation that feeling like when it when you know it's right and you've got that drum sound for instance I think man it takes me like I don't know if it's just like an ego thing or if I'm just like awful at trying to work with people but like when I get home, I'm like, my bad mix sounds better. And then it takes me like two weeks to sort of get used to Danny's drums again. And then, because obviously they're not going to sound anywhere like EQ'd the same and it's going to be completely different. So the more time I spend here, like getting the song finished and it's also like choosing what pedal I'm using and what bass tone and then the vocals and how it all sits together, like in that sort of like which the spectrum of stuff where it's going to push through or what guitar tone to use for this. It's almost irrelevant before that I've got Danny's drums because it all changes after that. He might be using a really dark cymbal or he might be hitting a snare drum, which is like d deeper or darker. So then my vocals are sitting in the exact same spot and then I've got to be like, all right, maybe I've got to write a different vocal pattern now. So ideally, the best thing to do would be like 
get that drum sound before the song is even finished. So that way I can just go, or even most people, like, they would jam, I suppose, and write the song in the studio first. Just spend, yeah, writing the song together as a band. It'd be good. I, I would love to do that one day. I think just at the moment, especially with isolation and COVID and stuff, it was just so easy to be like, sweet, just go and finish all this music and start writing. And I've, I've been doing it for like, just as a hobby, I suppose, since I can remember really. As soon as I got a computer, it's like, all right, how do I make music? And, and now it's going back. It's like, all right, sweet, how do, we, how do we be a band that uses this project's music? So I think it's good though, because Rich as well, so Luke, the guitar player, I think he was asleep when we last did the interview. I'm pretty sure he's like passed out on the bench, right? Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So he's really good at recording. Like he's got such a good style and sort of unique approach to how everything blends and molds together. And the way that he does it, obviously, it's, he plays drums. So his drum sound is the best thing. And then he builds around that. I think, yeah, I think we're going to do the next record. I'll just be with him. I'll just be like, take, take my hat off and be like, all right, sweet, let's just go with a different approach so the best way of how we can make things sound but I don't know there's so many ways to do it isn't it you go crazy if you're trying to be like it's perfect get like Rick Rubin on the phone or something <laughs> yeah that's the problem you've got these all just so many variations of the ways that you could make a song sound yeah exactly and it's and I still think like for some reason part one has like this weird like good quality overall quality to it even though we had no idea what we are doing I think it's because we didn't care we were like that's the drums we're using because that's the only drum kit we have. That's the mics we're using because that's the only mics we have. And they kind of came together and you were just like, you listen back to it and you're just like, it sounds right. It's like, how? And I'm now going backwards and trying to work out like how why nothing sounds like that. So uh, yeah, but I think if you're not learning, you're not progressing and then you're just going to be flattened. So hopefully one day we'll have one album and it'll be up there and we can just be like, we're down <laughs> Is it easier to make music when you've got limitations then? Like what you're in there for that first record, you kind of just, you didn't have any other option. But kind of these decisions were made for you to... I think, yeah, I think, way. yeah, I think so. It's almost like a blissful ignorance of music production. Like, as the more you sort of know about it, the, the worse you are, really, because you're just like... I mean, it's probably why loads of mastering engineers uh, aren't very good musicians, because they're just probably like, I can't, like, I, have, I know how to record... But to do their own project, they've probably been like, yeah, I've been working on this for 10 years. Nowadays, though, they're coming out kind of thick and fast, whereas before the sort of turn of the millennium, I suppose, like, or even like before 20, 2005, I reckon. And then you started getting bands like, I mean, you've always had Nine Inch Nails, but I think before that, there wasn't too many people that were literally just recording themselves at home and being like, this is my music. And then it was like, obviously... Tame Impala came along, Mac DeMarco, Mild Higher Club, pretty sure Tyson Gall does it all. I don't know if the OCs do, but King Gizzard as well. You were like, oh, we're allowed to do this now? Like, so all the stuff that we have been doing and learning in our bedrooms since growing up, supposed to be doing homework, you're like, all right, sweet, like, this is actually a thing. It's, it's allowed now. So it's cool. And it almost like stemmed the lo-fi way that music is really, isn't it? That lo-fi, crunchy rock, like, psych sound. I suppose, for the lack of a better word, it was because no one really knew what they were doing recording, and it was like... And now, for instance, Kevin Parker and Tame Impala are recording, like, the way his production stepped up, do you know what I mean? It's almost like he's not even playing guitar anymore, because he's like, nah, it's not, not a perfect instrument, so he's just using keys and synths and, like, just overall better quality things to record with, so... Yeah, he's thought about it a lot. 
<laughs> he's kind of well and truly down the rabbit hole now though <laughs> yeah in terms of trying to find that perfect sound oh he would yeah i can imagine he's probably sat there with a snare drum at his wave house for about two or three days man oh yeah you almost have to just not like think about it too much else it would just take up all your time and eat you alive but at least i suppose there are still studios that do that it's also good work i've never worked with in a studio before this album so drums before it was recorded drums in the studio so it's always good to see different people's techniques and how they sort of record but it was the first time i've done we did guitars on a few tracks i think we did mundungus prism and glitterbug this one that's going to be on the album <laughs> and all we did at the end was di it and i was just like well i was doing that like so what's the difference but then you're going through like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of preamps and stuff so you're like oh wow that sounds huge whereas the difference is going through a focus right it's the crispiest thing so yeah, but the whole, I, it's nice. I think, yeah, eventually getting to the point, I don't even know, it's so confusing. It does, because you don't want to think about it like the more money you spend, the better it is. But I think people find a way of using what they have to make it sound good as well. Like if you've only got a little handheld, like field mic to do guitars on or whatever, and you like plug it in the bottom, you know those little Zoom, like are they H4s or yeah. whatever? Yeah, I used to have one of them. And you work out, like, what it's good for. And you're like, oh, the only thing it's good for is recording, like, a really fuzzy vocal take because it sounds like a megaphone. So you're like, sweet, just have that in your hand. But that's it, I think. People find a way to use whatever. So you're always in recording mode then? Like, you've got that kind of home studio setup where you can just go in and do stuff. How do you... Yeah, man. I mean, the when we got back from tour in November, I was dead, man. I think we were on the tour. We were on the road for about eight months of that year and home for just felt like nothing. It felt like we we're here for two weeks, then we're flying off and then here. And so I was kind of burnt out in November and ended up obviously getting pneumonia and doing all these festivals at the beginning of the year. So sort of when COVID happened, I was almost like, oh, thank God. But like, obviously not really. But just to be I like... I didn't realise you had, I didn't realise you had pneumonia until the single came out. Oh, really? And then I was listening to it and I was like, oh man. Oh, well, we had to, like, the sort of, I mean, the, the higher beings of who controls music or whatever, the labels and management were like all right we've got to get an album for may so you can be back on the road i mean the whole of this year was just like i think we weren't going to be home for till next october or something like it was just the diary looked so oh it was terrifying to look at you like oh my god and and in that time it was like you've got to get an album out as well so so i sort of got home and knew that the break I had was not really break. It was like just coming in, just recording. But I do that anyway, so it's not. It doesn't feel like work at all. So I just wake up, and it's really nice actually. I got into a routine. It started to become a real bad habit because I was just walking to the bottle shop. That would open up at eleven. I'd come home, smash a six pack while just coming up with ideas, and then be like, "That's it." Oh, like, and one of the maybe four or five ideas, I was like, "All right, let's just give that a go." And if it didn't sound good in the day that I was recording it, then. I'd just be like, I'd leave it and then go on to another one. But if I woke up in the morning, I was like, that's actually, that's pretty cool. Like, that's got some potential. I'd sort of then spend the next day sort of honing in on that and then just repeat, just being like, all right, six pack ideas, bang, then just bottle of wine while recording. Because it's so easy, you're just in your house. So, and then, and you don't, you just go into that. I was reading about it the other day, it's called like flow, flow state. It would just be like morning and you'd get out and you'd be like, oh, I feel kind of hungry. And you'd be like, fuck, it's three in the morning. And like, the sun's gone down and you're sort of just still working away at the song. So that was really fun. Um, and then obviously when COVID happened and they were like, oh, like you can't go touring. I mean, obviously it's awful what happened, but it's sort of to tell someone who does music in, at their house and enjoys it and is like struggling to put out an album in the quickest time. It's like you have infinite amount of time now to write an album. 
it was like being uh, doing the first record again where there's no time constraints you could sort of come up with ideas and get a really good strong theme for for the record down because uh, I remember showing everyone sort of like what I had and it was like this half metal half I was really into Nine Inch Nails so it was like half that um, the downward spiral record just like, and then all these kind of like jangly Beatles tracks and I remember they were like well we've got time like why don't you just split it into two albums and then, the, then we're going to have a double album and then it kind of just came down into sort of what it is at the moment where it was I thought like if I want to do a record who do I want it to sound like and what is me because obviously when you it's sort of almost like branding yourself like when you are recording at home so I was like what do, what do I really like what are my go-to albums so I was like Sgt Peppers Nevermind obviously Nirvana and You Think I'm Manhood and like uh, Kings of Leon so I was like, those three just kind of became the catalyst of being like, if I'm going in that sort of direction, it became like a tool almost to be like, if it didn't work on either of those three, I'll save it for something else. So there was a, a quite a strong stylized guide for me to work from this time rather than being like, create anything. So, and I think that really worked. It's like, I've never tried that before. It wasn't like obviously sticking to it like religiously, but just to have some sort of blinkers and being like, all right, that's the, that's the idea of this album now. Cause some of the songs were starting to sound that way. And sort of reinvent it as well. So not just be like, it could fit on that. It'd be like, if those three albums turned into one and sort of were reimagined. So that was sort of where I headed. And then obviously we finished it about a month ago. So yeah, it was like, and now I'm in this gap where I'm like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> yeah, like I, I, man, I had a week off. I bought a PlayStation, played like Red Dead Redemption for like a week straight. It was like, I haven't played PlayStation in about, I mean, since I was in England. I think the last game I played would have been Crash Bandicoot. I That's play a FIFA show, like occasionally. Yeah, yeah, it is. That was a great game. And I originally played, sorry, I was just been playing FIFA or whatever. So I was like, is this the graphics? <laughs> um, yeah, like, is this, I mean, I bought a, I didn't realize PS5 was just about to come out. So I was like, PS4, bang, like the new technology or whatever. But man, that's an amazing game. I sat by a campfire for like two hours, just like, wow. Yeah, so now I need to go back into recording mode, just be normal again. Would you say you're healthier in recording mode or in touring mode? Oh man, definitely recording. Touring is like, you're in someone else's Saturday night, but you're just perpetually on like this sort of go, go, go mode. You wake up sort of hungover, you go to the next place, there's not really much time to like check out a city, even though you want to, like, and then you have to be on the road, whatever, three or four hours. Like England's pretty nice, because at least like the UK, it's like, places are kind of close together a lot. Like sometimes they are, sometimes they are, but it's usually like a three or four hour drive. But then sometimes we did, we did Norway to Dundee once. Ooh. So it was like, yeah, dude, in two days and then played a gig with Royal Blood. And, and all you do is drink because you're just like, like you're going mad. You're around people that you're like, they're definitely, everyone's like your brother and like your mate. But after a while, you're sharing beds with them and then you haven't been home for ages. So you're just like, all right, you're drinking. We had a wrestling match and I broke my rib. Um, yeah, it was Royal Blood. Uh, we were just like so amped up. And then you get home, you're like, you know that Rick and Morty episode where they're just like a quick in and out and then they're back in the team. They're just like, <laughs> and they're just crying. That's like pretty much when everyone gets home. Like, I'll see you later. Just, ah! You're like, what just happened? Yeah, but it's it's fun. It's definitely fun. But you sort of, you're definitely your, your most extroverted side on tour, I think. It's not much time to sort of really chill out. The days off are good. I think we had like two or three days off. One we had in um, Saint Sebastian in Spain. 
That place is amazing. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, so there's a lot of places we get to see and we like do occasionally get the day off. Like, but it's usually pretty much like, oh, you've got two hours to go and explore Edinburgh. So we're just running around to every pub like, all right, bike, quick, like, what's it? There's a castle. Right. So it's literally like that everywhere. But that's fun. But definitely healthier being home. Why did you, is that what the pneumonia came out of? Was it just been so run down from kicking about all the time or, or like just not stopping? I, I think so. I, th- I think it was just like, yeah, so I got home and, just sort of a little tiny break off, like being like sleeping in my bed. And I just remember waking up like three or four days later being like, wow, I feel pretty weird. And then it just slowly, I think having that rest, you don't sort of crash like enough. Yeah. I slept for about t- two or three days, like fully just like, all right. Yeah, like came out of it and was like, it was Christmas. So I was just like, why do I feel so shit? And it's like, and I obviously, I'm not like a person that goes to doctors a lot. So I was just like, I'll push through. It's just a cold. And I was still like smoking and drinking and I was like eventually just like, nah, like I can't even breathe. So I walked in. That was after coming back from laneway tour. Like I was just in like on the airplane like, <gasps> sounded like Darth Vader. But then they said I got it. So I was like, all right, sweet. And it was actually kind of nice. It was like, you have to stay in bed for like a week. But it took me about a month and a half to really get over it. So I wasn't properly fixed till poor, maybe March time from like Christmas, like where I could actually sing again. So like that, I mean, it was nice though because I just had a bit of time to just chill to myself. And when everyone's like, "Oh, do you want to come out and get a beer?" You're like, no, I'm dead. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, I'm doctor's note. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was one hell of a touring season. Because did you, when we went last time, did you not have your bags nicked or something? Oh man, from Manchester, yeah, that was like a pair of these headphones in there as well. I had to go and buy some new ones, but yeah, that guy. There was on CCTV where it was like riding part. I can't remember what we played. It was a really good venue, a band on the wall or something. Some guy was just, while we were loading our gear into the van, was just there on a push bike, just rode past and just took it off my bag. So yeah, I was like pretty deflated after that trip. I was just like, oh. And it had my passports in it, didn't it? Yeah, because remember when, right. when I met you, you were like, you didn't know we were going to get to go to Europe or not. Yeah, that was right. So we, I spent two days in... See, these are all, I'm always thankful. Thank you very much for that man in Manchester who has my bag now. Because I got to spend, everyone went to Amsterdam. Uh, and we were supposed to do like a radio show and a show in Amsterdam. And I had the night off and they got me a flight in London. I think it was in Victoria. But just one night off from everyone. And to be like, I got the, uh, we had, yeah, a show in Brighton. We we're hanging out with Royal Black Boys. And then I got the train into to London to do like a fast pace like express a passport um so we could go but i found out like in a matter of hours that it was successful also all i had to do was pick it up in the morning so i was like brilliant i've got the day off where I'm just carefree in victoria i ended up meeting these two irish boys and it was uh, the day that liverpool played arsenal it's like that five all match Fuck. so we were li- like yeah so we we're in this pub and i was just like by myself and they were like i'll oh, come drink with us so i was like sweet it was like such a huge night i was like I'm like I'm on holiday. Like this is what it feels like. And then just woke up like severely hungover. Just like oh no, got on a flight to Amsterdam of all places. And it's just like all right, I made it with like ten minutes to go to do the gig and the rest of the tour. So it was it worked out pretty well actually. Yeah, because I mean that could have been savage. We had to cancel all them shows. But been a nightmare, yeah. I, and I was just thinking, how stupid are passports? They're so old. Like what old technology? If you have a phone and you have all your banking details on them and you lose a card, at least you'd be like, sweet, I've got like online pay or whatever. But as soon as you go on holiday and lose a passport, they're like, you're illegally here now. Like, get out. You're just like, but I'm still me. I haven't changed that. So it should just be like a thing on your phone. Just be like, yeah, like here it is. It's just identification really, isn't it? But 
Yeah, I guess it's similar like voting. It's just the technology hasn't really caught up yet. Like, why we all still got to vote, and you think you would be able just to do it from your phone now? Yeah, I know. Like that—that that makes so much more sense. And and then if you're home, like my brother was saying as well, like he had this good idea about um, saying that every morning, like before you do anything, you have to wake up and whatever's in court or whatever for that day, or like things that need to be passed, you just have a questionnaire. It's like. Uh, should we increase school dinner allowance or like should we do yeah all right cool, sweet we'll pay that and then it goes into court it's like everyone on their phone or the millions of people that live in like scotland or england or whatever you have your own little independent ones and in australia so it's like all you know because you never know, i don't even know how anything works but it's like if everyone just voted on it and they woke up in the morning like yeah okay sweet gay marriage it's done it's like it literally took like 10 minutes and there it is. And so rather than spending all this money, it's like, that's what everyone wants. Wait, it's done. Just pass this to That'd be so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We just set it up, the voting app. Just get it. <laughs> so to, to come back to that, uh, the latest singles, well, is Mr. Prism a character? I, a lot of the stuff I would do is like alter egos, I suppose, like aliases of like uh, nights out. So there's one I have called Norton, who's become Norton Gavin. So if you get full Norton, it's like, I kind of don't know. I might just, I'll be sleeping on park benches or I got, it's like, oh God, someone's <laughs> full Norton. Like, so they're just off. Like, uh, so yeah, but Mr. Prism was, so when we did that Laneway Festival and I was like severely ill, someone just kept offering me a bunch of stuff and they were offering everyone, like Rich has done it as well and most of the boys. You'd just be so sick and so dead, but someone's like, do you want to learn a code? you're like, oh God, yeah, go on then. <laughs> no matter how dead you are, you would always take a line of coke. So it was like, he's Mr. Prism. So that was sort of the alter ego of that song. Yeah, that's why at the end, it's like, nobody fears the nosebeers. Because it's like, if you, even if you're like dead, I'm sure someone would be there like, yeah, go on then. Just, just a little whisper. Oh, it's such a good chant as well to end the song on. <laughs> yeah, man, it's gone. Like you can just imagine, you can just imagine crowds turn it back. It's been sick. And we've been playing, so when the riff gets onto that, we go straight into Balls on Parade. So it'd be like, and that, yeah, that's that, just the intro riff. It's good. It's a good segue into it. You do that thing as well in that song. You've done, you've done it quite, you do it quite a bit where you like do like an exact detail. Like I think that's like flight number 44. And it's the same in Buzz, but we were speaking about earlier when you say like the exact time, like 133, just like such a specific detail. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It just adds like another layer to the track. I think, yeah, well the flight 44 was how many flights we did that year. So it was like we had 44 flights from January to December. I, could, I think it was perfectly that. So amount of times we were just going like plane, 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 off like bang. So yeah, that was a good detail. And the whole was... Um, Alexander Fleming. They originally, when I went to the doctors, they were like, "Oh, you have t- what's the thing? Tonsillitis." I was like, "Oh, true." So they gave me, so they gave me loads of penicillin, and which was just not doing anything. So I was like, "Oh, thanks, Alexander Fleming, for keeping me alive." But then it actually wasn't that at all. So, so it's kind of like this weird, uh, weird, yeah, weird. Thank you. But he thought he could help me. He's a famous Scot. He is. And he, what else did he invent? He's got a couple of them. I got another famous Scot in there as well. Um, Edward, Edwin Beard Budding. He invented the lawnmower. And I've got him in one of the songs. So I'm like, hats off to Edwin Beard Budding <laughs> for making the lawnmower. Yeah, I did, maybe it's, maybe it'd go down in Scotland then. I've got these uh, Scottish inventors in the songs. Just start dropping them in there at each one. It's the paper control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had, you, had you been back across here before you started touring again? Because you kind of grew up here, did you start with? Yeah, I grew up in Milton Keynes, so in, or just like outside like Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire area. 
But it was really like I remember it being like it was like a little village, you know, like ten pubs or whatever in the village, yeah. and then you could ride like a tractor through the woods to get to like the next pub in the next village. So it was like hell small, great town to grow up in. So and I'd been back once and then so the first time we did a tour here was like seeing all the family again. That was really good. But my granddad, he was from Glasgow. I think there, so there should be a couple of McEwans living there or like there's a few of them in Newcastle, which is good. So we managed to go there. Didn't get to watch a game though. Dad's a massive Geordie, so yeah, he wanted to go to the football, but we just had no time. I think there was one game, one game that Luke got to see. So he went to a Tottenham match. And then everyone else, it's hard because no one else likes um, football or soccer. Well, football, everyone calls it soccer here. But... Is, football, is it big in Australia? Yeah. We've been going to watch the local games. So there's uh, Forey Athena. So when everyone sort of emigrated here, obviously, back in the day, they started up like the local so there'd be like a greek team there'd be an english team there'd be a macedonian team italian team yeah i think there's like a i think there's a scottish team and stuff so that was what they were called it would be like florida oh, perth italia or um so like i think sorrento english and sterling macedonians so now but they formed into teams but i mean there's only like 600 people go there it'd be like some sort of conference style uh thing for them anywhere that sells beer and the other guy who's in a band this guy called cal kramer from the Southern River Band. Uh, he's one of the funniest people in the world. And so when COVID sort of broke a bit here and we were allowed to go back out again, I was like, man, I haven't watched a game of football in like, it felt like a year. It's like, we're going to the local games. And so I've just been watching the local games and it's brilliant, man. You just sit there, three o'clock kickoff. Usually it's like sunny and you just sit with a couple of mates just watching like football and then you go out afterwards. So, But I think that the A-League that we have here, it's too difficult to really get into because the home games is every second week or something like that. But then, because teams like Wellington Phoenix are in it, they're like eight hours away in New Zealand. It's like, so the entire league is like literally this size of Europe. It'll be like playing someone in Azerbaijan each week. So yeah, so for, you can't really go to an away game, but you can when you go and watch the local league. And it's just a good laugh. So that's what we've been doing. Cricket's big here and they've got AFL, obviously. So that's, a, that's the biggest sport. See, that's weird. They managed to allow 30,000 people into Optus Stadium to watch their AFL, but we could only get 500 people, like, maximum into venues. And you're like, how? Like, but at least we're now doing festivals, and as we said before, so it's all right. We'll let him have that one. Where was the festival at the weekend again? I think we were speaking about it before we started recording. Yeah, um, Wave Rock Weekender. Which was sick. They did well. Tame Impala did a DJ set, and then Pond played Hey Headline Sunday. We did the Saturday night. A couple of local bands, like really, really good band called Grievous Bodily Calm. Like you should check out their music. They're oh, man, unreal. Grievous Bodily Calm. Yeah, like they do sort of like almost funky, uh, like new age hip hop, but it's with the most animated keys player ever. You think he's doing like just arpeggiated stuff like, but his just fingers are doing it. And then, and then he's going all like this and whatever. And then they've got like one of the best rhythm sections around. Sort of like a super group from Perth that formed from a bunch of different bands and, and then just came up with this really cool sporadic style of music, which I really haven't heard. I mean, it might be like the Comet is coming, kind of that kind of style. Yusuf Kamal, a bit, bit that vibe, but they've just stepped up the game and just, but like now we're gonna do it like Aussie style. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, there's a few. There was like loads, loads of good. Bands. It was just like the Perth local community just drove out four hours into a field and 
did drugs all weekend, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, I had that down in my notes for later. What role would you say psychedelics have in creativity? Oh, man, when we first started, like, everything, I think, just thinking differently is, I mean, not, like, necessary if you've already got kind of a creative brain, but I, I think if you, whatever you take, you're not going to usually think about a lot of the stuff that you do on acid or mushrooms. And so when you kind of come back and you're like, oh, God, right, reality, and you're like, what the fuck was that? And then you sort of, I suppose it kind of opens up different corridors for you to write or get excited about. But now I'm terrified of it, man. I like, I'm, I think I'm one slither away from just falling off the end of the world and never coming back. So, yeah, one day I'd be able to pull myself back together, but I think, oh, I'm just getting old. Maybe I'm just like, I like my reality right now. So if someone gives me a tab, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to change. Yeah, so I'm just like, all right, happy with beer, happy with... Uh, Happy with whatever, really, but yeah, a couple of tabs deep at the festival would be my nightmare right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the first time you tripped? Uh, poor man. Like, I think I think I took a bunch of mushrooms at like just after we'd finished school, so I was pretty young. I really, I think I was like sixteen or some shit. Yeah, it was like insane. Just fully, I just remember thinking I was a giraffe and had peripheral vision, and then uh, I could just watch like swing from lifetimes to lifetimes on this like rope so i'd be like off here and then as it sort of like you know where you just get that like audio hallucination like boom, 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 boom. and then it was like all the reality stacked in folded back into me and i was like am i me now like that's it like that's who i am and it was like insane so i was like fuck like probably shouldn't do that a lot <laughs> and then but i haven't man i think it's only like what do you call it once a year maybe like i wouldn't be the type of person i don't think any of us are that would be like, yeah, each weekend fucking getting on it. It's just like, I think, because it has such a profound effect that you're just like, well, I don't want to touch You kind of, you don't touch it until you forget about it. Do you know what I mean? And then when you're about half an hour in, you're like, oh, fuck, I remember this. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a long one. Like, all right. But I think, yeah, now it's like, yeah, definitely much prefer a good conversation, a beer at a pub, sitting down in the sun, rather than being like, let's go home and just extend our brains but. you probably you probably gain quite a lot of stuff as well like you gain less the more you do it as well if you know what i mean or maybe not if you leave it a yeah. while but and i think right because most people are like oh like they're like oh you always hear people be like that's oh, a stranger and like, blah, 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 whatever and you're like well everyone has it they fucking drop enough acid it's like <laughs> it's like so it's almost like a superhero power isn't it for like a certain amount of time and then yeah, but you don't want to abuse it at all. Some people, the poor people as well, I've seen them just like, it terrifies me now because you're just like, what was I thinking? Some of the stupid decisions you make when you're just drunk and you just like take some stuff. And I think, I don't think it's necessary for writing, but it's like, yeah, I think, as you can tell, most bands who, the whole of the 60s, it was just like such a like gigantic shift in music and development. And then the 70s was like the heaviest thing ever. And you're like, why was that? And then, yeah, like just looking around at what they were taking at the time. But I think, yeah, I think now it's like calmed down a bit. Maybe I wouldn't mind doing what um, uh, Trent Reznor did when he was like, just went and recorded in the Charles Manson house, didn't he? Or the, where the Manson murders were? Oh, Not that I would Fuck get that. that right. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I'm just saying like his, his writing style, like, um, or his, like I'd call him a, uh, a method writer rather than a method actor. He'd be writing methodically being like, all right, I'm going to go and, get myself into the deepest, darkest thing that I can. Rent it out to fucking uh, Shirley, whatever her name is, that where the Manson murders were. Rented that house out, recorded Downward Spiral, 
like, well, just fucked off his nut. And then was like, all right, I'm finished. Here it is. And then just probably put his suit and tie on and went back to his normal <laughs> job. Like, but I think, I think there's something like, not romantic, but there's something kind of interesting about that. Just being like, I'm going to really extend my brain for a bit. I'm going to go off, do like a bon Iver, Be like, all right, I'm going to go and feel my heartbreak in a cabin, like in the middle of like Canada or Alaska or wherever he went. But he came back with a beautiful piece of art. It's like, it's like so maybe all the stuff that you do need to isolate yourself and really get into strange headsets to create something a bit weirder. I've always wanted to do this. I want to call it the Mowgli test. So you know Mowgli from Jungle Book? Yeah. So if you were like, you had a child or something that grew up on an island somewhere who'd never heard like modern music and never even considered the thought of like instrumentation, but he got a guitar on there somehow, like would he make... What music would he make? It's a cool concept to think about because I know like Mongolia or whatever. So those are they called Mongolian throat singers or whatever? And so so they don't have normal tonal music. So they think all our music is out of tune because their ears are like so different. So they'll sing. You'd be like, you'd be like, oh, it's like fucking. What are they singing? It's like, yeah, I don't understand. But their notes are all different. So even music in the world is completely different. So it almost you're almost thankful that. Um, I suppose there's a good reach of popular music now. Uh, imagine if you just have one like city in the world that were like, yeah, they love my atonal like gibbering slut. And you're like, we get to go to Reykjavik like <laughs> once a year just to be like, I'm there. I suppose that's what Sega Ross is. But like, yeah, thank God there is like sort of the internet to be like, put it all together. Here it is now on your phone. You just listen to the bits and pieces. We can have a chat about it. Any good Scottish bands I should be cranking at the moment? Oh, actually, I was no, I was going to check. I was like, did you see Biffy Clyro's cover of uh, <laughs> what? I oh, did see man. That, yeah. oh man, I love Biffy Clyro, but that oh that hurt. I think they, uh, I think they knew that, what they were doing. You did? No publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, you know. Oh, of, of course, of course. Yeah, it got got everyone talking about it. It did. It did. Go on the biff, up the biff. <laughs> anyway, there are the I was going to say, Man of Moon, have you heard them? Man of Moon? No, I'm going to write it. Man, man of oh, Moon. Oh, Man of I feel like you probably dig them. Man of Moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll listen to them. I feel like they just put their record on Friday. I feel like you probably dig it. It's a bit sight rock. Oh, sick. All right, I'll give it a crank. Yeah, it's kind of got a few different things going on. They have this really cool song on it, um, Strangers. It's kind of like sight rocky doing LCD sound system. Oh, sick. But really dancey. Sick. It's cool. It's decent. Man, that was actually a hell good band I really liked. Um, oh, man. All my music got wiped off Spotify, so I've been trying to remember what I like downloaded over the last couple of years. I can't remember. They did apparently a tour with Noel Gallagher, Neon something. Ne- oh, Neon, Neon Waltz. Waltz. Dude, they were sick. I like their great album. band. Yeah, I like their album. They got one track. Just quite DMAs as well. Oh, did they? Man, good on them. Yeah, yeah. Man, they've yeah, been, DMAs are huge now. It's funny, like they sort of started off here and weren't too big, and then they did that cover of uh, what was that Believe. Believe. I just blew up worldwide. Because they were just, I suppose they have got like that sort of English like attire. Like they look kind of... Uh, like in a side Britpop sensibility. Yeah. So when they were here, everyone, I think everyone thought they were English. And then they were like, oh, they're Australian. It's like, so everyone everyone loves the hometown gigs here. And they're bigger here than they're in Australia though. We were, oh, for not? sure. Was it like, was it Brixton? Like 5,000 cap? Oh, really? Fuck, that's big. Back in, I think like back in March. Yeah, right before everything like, literally like two weeks before everything shut down, they played Brixton. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's like stadium level here, so get an arena, get on them. What, what would you say is um, like the biggest driver on your creativity, has the biggest impact on your creativity? I don't, like nights out, like, I can't, I always try and like thought I could write fictionally, 
So loads of stock like songs are recorded before Palm Crumpets and it'll be like Alex Turner is so good at it that you're just like, oh, it'd be simple to make up some sort of character that's kind of like still f- believable. But I kind of just suppose write or on past experiences. So like Found God in Tomato, it was literally just me thinking fucking I found God in a fridge when I opened it up. It was just one tomato. And it was like so surreal. It's like, and it's sort of like that first album, all the sort of stories and bits and pieces were usually just like, it was easy to write upon because I had 22 years of prior sort of experience that I could write about. So now, then it got down to now. So a lot of the stories are just like what we did like last tour and how stuff has been here. I think eventually I'd like to, I don't know, go and do some like mad English class and just sit down or read like every single book in the world. Just be like, all right, I've done it 50 years later. (laughs) And then be like, now I can write some proper stuff. But yeah, I always feel like lyrics, they always come like last or so it would be like, definitely write the music first. I'll just sing gibberish. So I'll be like, like find the sort of where I'm actually going to sing or like what note works and then like try and write into that. So it's almost like strange scattered poetry, really, that it just can't comes out as like, a lot of it doesn't even make sense. But I kind of enjoy that. It's a bit Lewis Carroll. But yeah, his 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 stuff's amazing. I think both for music, yeah, definitely just nights out, man. Cause it's just funny. I suppose it's all intox- intoxicated things. I suppose most songs, like if you narrowed it down, everything would be like, I get half the songs ever wrote are about love, and then you write about time, and then they're all about death, and you sort of go through. And I was trying to write down like all the different things, like the ten most common things, and then be like, all right, I never write want to write one of them. It's like the easier thing, do you know what I mean? Like when you like write a poem, you're like, oh, the sky. Like, and then you're like, ah, oh, like there's my feelings. And you're like, so I, you try and get all the, the cheesy bits and pieces out first. And then you're like, all right, now what's this song about? Like, and then you eventually be like, yeah, it's about fucking find God and Tomato. So it's like, I'm sure there's only one of them. And it'd be nice to eventually be like, all right, at least that when we do write an album, like you'd kind of get excited about hopefully hearing something different that, doesn't sound like anything else, or it's not just a rip, or it's not just the same lyrics. So I suppose that's what you're anticipating. Do you know what I mean? It's why everyone really looks forward to watching a uh, Wes Anderson movie or a Tarantino because they've got such a unique style that you like. They just all—they're different. They're unique. They sort of yeah sit better with an audience than say Woody Allen making <laughs> a million Woody Allen movies. Although they're really good, I like them. They've all got their own personality. Like those those directors you're speaking about, it's it comes across yeah, in the film. Yeah, exactly. And and you and you just kind of want to listen to the dialogue and you want to find out their characters and what they've built and so uh, that's the excitement. I swear I'm more excited about waiting for a Wes Anderson movie than I am probably watching it. He was supposed to have one coming out this year, wasn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, that looked really good as well. Got a classic cast. Yeah, yeah, dude. He always just uses the same sort of like Phil Murray's and. Yeah, his cast. Who's the, um, what's his name? Jurassic Park guy. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's nothing better than that Rick and Morty episode where Jeff Goldblum is like the, oh, that globby thing. It's like in the place that can't die. I don't know. Oh, he's good. Do you have to search for like inspiration or does it always just come to you? Is it always there? Can you always tap into it? Because it seems like you write quite a lot of stuff and you're able to kind of just go into the studio and, um, and like rep. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've never forced it, which is kind of nice. Like, there's been times, obviously, where you get deadlines given to you. Like, I was probably more worried this year, like, when they were like, you've got to have an album out by May. And I was like, well, I literally have no songs. 
So it's like, how can you tell someone that and then be like, it just seems cheap. It seems like you, you're giving away, you're selling something that you're forcing. I mean, the best albums, like for, for instance, Talk spends 15 years or whatever writing a record. Some say it might be worth the wait, some say they might want it more, but at least they cared about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, they actually were generally like, nah, we're gonna make a piece of art and it's gonna take us this long and here you go. So rather than the bands that kind of turn around, like, unless they're good, but we, you can always listen when it's like they have one single and then they have nine filler tracks and they're just pumping out records. And you're just like, well, what, why? They kind of devalues music and devalues musicianship. So it was really nice to be, when I do sit down, it's like to be able to say like, nah, it's not ready yet. Put your foot down, I suppose. And that was kind of good that this year I could do that. And then, I mean, at the moment, it's like I'm already sort of a good like 30 tracks into the next one. So, and a lot of them I sort of left and I was like, if that doesn't fit, and I had this idea for another idea for the next record. So it's going to be the greatest hits of this Perth musician, Sir Norton Gavin. <laughs> so we're going to go do his 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s and record it in the way that it was recorded. So, I mean, the hard thing is, I'll tell you, because it's like he, he's fictional, but I don't know how to do like, would it be a better idea if he was a real guy? And if everyone was like, oh, who the hell's Norton Gavin? And we sort of had this idea. It was like, we should like he is going to be real. And we're going to theme it like that. So we're going to have on Spotify, like, all Norton Gavin's records and when he went into, like, 60s and 70s and changed the game in the 80s when he started getting synth involved and then 90s music, he came up with, like, new metal. So it's, like, it's, it's, a definite, it's been a really fun project. It's, like, we can just change it and we're going to do five little um, songs from each thing. But I kind of wanted to do an album. I wanted to make a 40-track record. Be like, here's the 60s, 10, 10 tracks on each, each decade. And do music videos and stuff for the minute as well. Um, no, they've not thought about them yet, but I think like it'll be good to do them and style them like the way that everyone else has, like put them back there. But yeah, so that that's that's been a really fun project to sort of start at the moment. So, and what I've done is like so rather than finish the track like here in the room, which I usually do, and then show everyone like the finished product, and then we go and record it. It's sort of I've been like more, but making sure it's a scratch track and not getting too attached to it, so we can go into a studio and be like, right, let's like we said before, let's make sure this is produced and recorded the best way possible. Because I just get attached with everything. So that's been a really hard way to do it. I mean, eventually, hopefully, like, I could write an album and mix it and master it and be, like, really happy with it. But I know, like, oh, man, I'm going to need years of schooling. So, yeah, so this way is a lot better. And probably and just start jamming again, like, with the band. So, yeah, try and make it more of a collaborative effort rather than an isolated bedroom, like, <laughs> weird thing. I guess it comes back to what you were speaking about those records. They're, like... You know how we were saying with the first one that there was some limitations. Like if you put those kind of things in place, like you're done with that. Yeah. Make, maybe makes that way a bit easier to kind of proceed and be creative in there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that that was like it was the first. I mean, this would be the first concept album that we've done. So I think it, it generally it makes you feel so much more creative because you're just like I mean I've always said like it's going to be really hard to be like all right draw anything rather than be like draw a skull with a tree coming out there's monkeys hanging off that tree and then you've got like flowers coming out of everyone's eyes like you're like oh, sweet all right i can do that because it's so much detailed and precise way of saying it that you probably get more creative with something that you've been given so to be like it's this weird rock guy norton gavin who's lived like a rock star life and never got his music out there from the 60s 70s 80s 90s like so i mean doing research on that i've sort of taken like a uh, yeah like a case study in a way I've been like, what music have I missed from the 80s? Or what music have I missed from the 60s? 
But man, the 80s is one of the most awful decades of music <laughs> ever. It's just like, apart from like thrash metal, I mean, every 70s rock band came out with the worst bad rock ballad music ever in the 80s. And then it was like grunge at the end of it. And so it was like, oh, thank God. I mean, there was like, yeah, there really wasn't too much there. Apart from electronic music, it kind of just went like, I mean, Madonna was probably the biggest thing. And that's what you think about. about at least like you had like Metallica sort of stem out. And I think that's the way we're sort of trying to take it to be like, right, let's go heavy in this direction. So, and then blend that with Norton Gavin style. <laughs> yeah. Take it. I imagine him having a few left turns as well in his career. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I think we were going to say that he was in rehab for the whole of the 80s, so he never actually did the <laughs> 80s. We'd just be like... Just skip it. Yeah, out. that's it. Like, he actually never released anything here. And then he comes back with a grunge record. Right, the start yeah, of the 90s. exactly. That's it, the 90s grunge. And it's just, like, birthing new metal. Like, it'll be good. How does... Um, how do limitations work, like, structurally as well? Because I know with the last record, if you look at, like, Keen for Kick-On's Bill's Mandolin and... But, but him for a drug, they kind of they take on that slightly more like conventional pop structure when it comes to the actual songs. Yeah. Was that quite a conscious choice? And if so, how did that kind of affect your writing of them? Yeah, definitely. So it was like um, I I'm I'm in two minds with what like music I enjoy and what sort of enjoy creating. And like I think after recording one and two, I was like, what is a song like? And if it, if this is now going to be a thing, like if we're going to be a band and we're going to go tour and play music, I was like. It wasn't just like, oh, let's just write. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't sort of like a hobbyist band anymore. It kind of felt like it had a bit of projection and there was like sort of like something to aim for. So I was like, sort of really went back and was like, what is a song? Like, what, what do people enjoy? Like, and that crippled me because then I started thinking about what other people like and what I, so then kind of forgot what I liked a bit. And I think you can hear that in what you call it. It was like me aiming at sort of a target audience and then also me writing like so things like when in rome i was like that's such a massive rip and then we ruined the sort of production of it and it was so raw and great and then we overthought it and it kind of lost its like edginess like it was just such it should have been a huge sabbath track and we should have left it like that and then it was like now let's think about it and let's do this and this so that crippled that song a bit so this time around i wanted to do still stick with like a structured song like a three or four minute kind of idea and don't let the listener get bored or kind of carried away too much. But I wanted the album to be 40 minute song really. So it's like from start to finish, everything will blend into each other and not in the way that it's like one theme idea. It would be like the last four chords of this will connect perfectly with this and the last note will make sure that it's an F sharp or whatever. So that we'll go to the next one in F sharp. So this time around, it was like the track listing sort of became at the start, like solidified very early on. And then if I was like, wow, oh, that doesn't fit, that doesn't work. Like it, it's like in 150 and then it goes straight to like a 190 BPM track. It's like, it's sort of like play that. And then I'd be like, oh, I had a Mellotron. So I'd just be like, oh, like hints of course. Like, like that's what it needs. It needs something weird in between. Even if it's just 30 seconds to tie off this to that. So, so I wanted the album to be like a more flowable listener. Cause I, sometimes it's like, I really enjoy listening to those old psych rocks tracks and when people have like a six or seven minute track or like a 10 minute track or sleep like an hour fucking dope smoker. Like that stuff's sick. But it's almost like now the way that I prefer writing is like, let's get like the idea at least across in the first 10, 20 seconds. And then 
if it does go anywhere, it's going to be not like a gigantic change from where the original start of the song was because as much as I enjoy listening to it, it's like you almost feel like, I don't know, I don't even know because I've listened to so much different music at the moment and I'm like, what do I like? Like Clowncore, for instance, like that stuff's sick, but it's still like the same thing, do you know what I mean? For like two minutes at least. So I didn't want to be like, you're going to put it on for 30 seconds and then it's going to be this beautiful orchestral thing and then we're going to go into an acoustic song and then it's going to go different. So even though there's that stuff on the record, it's like, I just wanted to kind of theme it and be like, right, sweet. It's going to be so drenched in something. Like, and, and you'll be like, oh, that has to be from the new album. I don't even know if we're giving the title away. I don't even know if I'm allowed to give the title away, but it's got its flavor. So that's why I think I'm more proud of. If I wrote something that be like, sweet. And you'd be able to be like, I couldn't be on any other record, so. And I think I just want to keep going that way. Like, as in Norton Gavin, the next one, and, and Chiger, this one, so. It's like the Beatles. If you hear a Beatles song, you can instantly kind of tell what record it's going to come off, like of those. Yeah, and man, that's, oh, dude, I love listening to them. Like, Revolver is just so distinct. And, I mean, you could almost class the Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper's as sort of one record. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose they're a wee bit, yeah. Yeah, band. but then definitely Abbey Road, you're like, yeah, drenched in a certain flavour which is just really nice so that's yeah this record that's, that was my focus anyway to be like to think about the album more than the song I guess if you look at like side B of, of Abbey Road as well that kind of links into what you're saying in terms of it flowing from song to song and just having that yeah dude that was that is yeah pretty much we just wanted to record that <laughs> so I just changed yeah I was like that meant I'm fuck there's not even a better piece of it's the most insane thing I've ever heard and still and you're just like how did you do that and they're all great catchy bits and perfect songwriting. It just like medleys into one beautiful piece of music. So And it feels like such a such a complete thought as well. Yeah, it does. And it feels like they they know knew exactly what they're gonna do and take it. It wasn't just like, alright, let's change here because we're gonna change here because we care, because we know what like the way that five four blends perfectly into seven or whatever. It's like now nah, it's like they wanted they did exactly what they wanted. So that was the same with this record. I was just like, alright trying to emulate that almost to be like all right this is where we're going to head and and that and it leads definitely leads for a better album listen so when people are like oh where's your 10 minute tracks it's like that is it's a 40 minute song but it's it's you can take it into different bits and pieces so it should work it's like do we like scenes yeah that's it yeah because a lot of the songs as well they sort of feel i think it's, it's a 14 track record so there isn't i don't think even there's a stop I didn't like that as well because obviously from track seven and eight, they're like the two that sort of blend the, the most. But because we had to cut it on the vinyl, it just finishes and goes, ah! and then you have to be like, Da-da-da! and then back. Yeah, so I was like, ah! yeah. But I don't know, there's no other way around it. Not unless you can sort of fold the two in half somehow. So it's like flips and just goes, that'd be a good invention. What you need is two record players and two records. So you've got one going, and then as soon as one ends, you just let the other one drop. Oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 a banging idea. Sell twice as many records. Yeah, we'll get it. How does the way you think about the overall narrative of the record differ to the way you think about the narrative of an individual song? It's a question, really, isn't it? That one's the like, because it's easy to put flavor into a song. I think, and then it's like when you're thinking about it as the album, it's like. How does every song sound different but sound the same, but then add to one piece of music? And I think that's the the best sort of challenge, or what I'm more excited about now to write. So I can't really sit down. Whereas before, um, when we were first starting out, I'd write Marmalade March or I'd write Cubensis, and and it was just like songs, and they were like 
very flavor. And I think that's why I kept them to be like five minutes. Or Denmark, for instance, which is like, well, I think it's like eight minutes. It was like, I really thought about the song. And it was very lucky that they kind of fit on the record. Do you know what I mean? It was like such a, it, it was like, here's the songs that I've wrote and here's the record. And I think when you listen to it, you're like, fuck, that was, yeah, that, that did go together or this went together. So now in um, the way, the, the approach, I suppose, it's like, I definitely think about a record and I can't just sit down for like a week and then come back three weeks later. It has to be like, all right, I'm spending three to four months honed in in this environment and we're going to come out with a record at the end of it. And I think that's what I really enjoy doing. So maybe one day I should do a song-based thing, but... It'd be nice to make be like if we did like a couple of twenty minute songs or something because I've been talking to Ben so Ben Caddy, who does the strings for crumpets so he was at the festival on the weekend he's Danny's brother we were sort of talking about how music how strangely it has evolved from being like orchestral pieces which had movements then going into three minutes somehow like that's the way the ear has changed so throughout time it's like here's a movie and now you're happy with the trailer you're still getting the same dopamine hits, you know what I mean? People have like got to be like, here's 15 seconds of a verse, and here's your dopamine, get it in here, get it in here. And then they're like, let's put it four times, and get it in here. And that's the radio now. Whereas before, you'd almost just have like, um, you'd waited 15 minutes to be like, and it's, oh God, it's here, and then just the strings and crescendo and shit. So it'd be really nice to one day just be like, let's record a big hour long, orchestral weird thing and I wanted to put it into like a fringe show because fringe is quite big here I know Edinburgh's got a massive fringe well it originated there but um Perth has got quite a good one too so I've always gone and watch friends plays and I helped out design a poster for another one and generally I just love the drinking area it's got the best beer, beer garden in Perth when it's on and it's my my favorite place in the world but I'd love to do a show there as well. And if we could do that as some sort of casual thing, it would be like almost like a, no, 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 op, like a new age operatic experience where it's not vocals. It could just be some guy like, I met as much as everyone laughed at or the, that Shia LaBeouf thing that was like weird and it's Shia, what is it? He's coming around the corner. Shia LaBeouf. Uh, that was insane. Like I would watch an hour of that and it was just like, I don't know, even know what it was. He's a fascinating guy. And it, he's self-aware, which is brilliant. Very idiosyncratic. Yeah. yeah. And I think that makes him, his life is the performance art piece. And like, to be aware of that, it's like, there's the difference between him and Gary Boosie. Like Gary <laughs> Boosie, you're like, what are you doing, Gary? And then there's Shia, and be like, what are you doing, Shia? But Shia knows what he's doing. Yeah. He is, he's, he's, so, he's so involved in his own production or makeup of what he projects to people, that it's like, fuck, it's smart. It's like, he's a clever, clever guy. I feel like he's definitely got a better, better handle on it now than he did, though. Like, when he first started doing shit like that, people just yeah. thought he was insane. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you call it? Was it wasn't he a child actor for ages? So I wanted to go and watch his movie, um, the one where his dad's the director, and he plays his dad or whatever. I hadn't heard about this. So he's got a new movie that came out. It literally came out, like, the week of COVID, and it was at the cinemas, and I, don't, I think he pulled it from the cinemas. We did here. So he plays his dad, teaching him growing up, like acting. That's fascinating. Yeah, the trailer looks sick. It looks like it'll be like a, a, a mad movie. And he directed it as well. So it's his first film where he plays his dad. And then so there's someone playing Shia, like a little Shia, just as a child actor. But it looks cool. I mean, and I think that's what everyone says, isn't it? Like, if you're going to do any writing, write about what you know about. 
So, what time is it where you are? <laughs> four, four in the morning. Holy fuck! <laughs> Mate, why did you do it so late? I thought it would have been a good idea. I thought, well, my, the plan was I thought, it, it's, I live next to like a main road, so I thought it's going to be quiet, so it'll be perfect. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, did you wake up or did you go to sleep? Or? The plan was to go to sleep for a couple hours and it just didn't happen. I just oh, couldn't sleep. Dude. <laughs> so, um, oh, I'm knackered, man. But oh, it's all good. What about you? What I've just, like? gone, just gone 20 past 11. So, <laughs> yeah, crack on. I'm trying to think where we were. <laughs> the four in the morning brain, that's it. I used to do that at uni. When I was at uni, did doing design. Because I like always wanted my weekends. So I was like, I'm not doing any work over Saturday or Sunday. Like... That's my day or Friday night or whatever. So we used to pull all nighters Tuesday and Thursdays, like with two of my friends. And it would get to about three or four in the morning. And you'd just be like, you'd, you'd feel like your eyes just go like, whoop, like spin around. You're like, all right, did that just happen? Like, and you're so <laughs> tired. You're smash, smashing Red Bulls. And then we'd have to do a, like a presentation at like 10 in the morning. Oh, man. And like the food place wouldn't open till eight. And I remember just being like, like waiting for it like so buzzed up of red bulls and then man there's like if there's one drug that gives me anxiety it's caffeine and it's for some reason like, i just can't drink coffee i'd be there like with, on so much red bull and then have a coffee in the morning and be like oh my god like when it's like a class full of people so yeah yeah coffee kills me what's the longest you've ever gone without sleeping oh man i reckon last weekend probably didn't have a kip but uh there's been tours where it's like Oh man, probably just one night, hey. I don't think... Oh, there's definitely been places where we just do all-nighters and then we'll jump on the plane or whatever and then you're sort of, like, excited because you've got to go and do the gig and then you're forced to stay awake because you've got to do it and then you do a sound check and then you're back sort of to the adrenaline stage of doing the show and then you're off again. So that happens pretty frequently, but I've never done... I don't think I've ever done more than two nights. There was a guy... Who was the guy from... Uh, is it The Doors? Some band. He just didn't sleep because he thought it was free drugs. <laughs> so he'd, be, yeah, he'd be like up for five or six days. Oh, man. I did yeah. go, yeah, almost two days until I sleep. And I was like hallucinating by the end of it that I need to sleep. Because it does do, it fucks you. It does fuck you, man. It's weird, isn't it? It's like, what is sleep as well? Because I've heard it's apparently like, they're thinking, obviously, like, it's cleaning the brain. And it makes no sense evolutionary. Like, why you should be like, that big pile Inactive. of meat. Yeah, yeah it's inactive and defenseless for like fucking eight hours. Yeah. But now that I suppose we are happy and we're cozy, like it's probably the best thing to do. Man, like coming back off that festival and getting into bed yesterday, I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to order Uber Eats and watch True Detective. I was like, fuck yes, this is so good. Do you like True Detective? First series. Yeah, first series, man. Oh, that thing. Favorite TV show of all time, man. It is. It's so... And I've only watched it once. And I was like, I've got to watch that again. And McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson together are the greatest duo. They're so sick. Have you seen the Between Two Ferns when Zach Galifianakis is interviewing Woody Harrelson? Oh, sorry. Matthew McConaughey. They're talking about... I think so. Is that the one at the film? (laughs) I think... I can't remember. It's like Between Two Ferns. And he's like, so what was your... Fucking weed budget on a, on a true detective. And McConaughey's just pissing himself. And he's like, and how much of that budget did you smoke? Yeah. But you can tell they'll just be like having the best time filming that together as well. It's so intense though. Like it must have been such a ju- juxtaposition from being on the set where you're having the time of your life to go into having to try and film that. Like when, when you know, the cameras are rolling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it is. It's hectic. There wasn't too much like dark tv series around that because it was almost like tv at the time was just transitioning from like buying seasons to put on 
terrestrial television. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there'd be like going into streaming. Yeah, yeah, and then it was just as streaming sort of came out, and it was like one of the first things. Like, man, what the fuck is that? Like HBO are killing it. They did another thing called The Night of. Have you seen that? I've wanted to watch that because it's got is it Riz Ahmed in it? Yeah, dude, that's sick. Because that was on between um, the Game of Thrones seasons. They were like, oh, we got to keep keep people sort of hooked to the still wee mini series. Man, I loved it. I thought it was sick. It's really it's pretty confusing. Yeah, it's good. Can you ever get inspired by different art forms? Like, can you get inspired by like TV or you know books or films? Does that can you can you work it in? Yeah, for sure. I think because it's so, it is still similar. Like someone's obviously got themselves in some sort of mood. I've always loved um, Hunter S. Thompson, like reading like Gonzo or some shit or like. Oh man, yeah. I've got quite a few of his books over on the show. Yeah, like Fear and Loathing. And you're just like, fuck man. And then he's sort of like that kind of circus lifestyle. You always hear a soundtrack playing or I, like, I suppose I do like, or through movies. I think it's just Looney Tunes. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just like chaos. And then you're just like, all right, sweet. And sort of, that kind of goes into uh, music, so... There's a real fluidity to his writing as well, though. The way it kind of just goes from thing to thing yeah. and doesn't stop, and it's got such a momentum about yeah, it. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, he doesn't take a breath. His brain is just, like, spinning constantly. I love uh, Joe Rogan reading his daily routine. Have you seen that? <laughs> Dude, it's so good. That's nuts, though. Like... Yeah, I love... I can't believe he made it to 70 after that. <laughs> Dude... Dude, it's, I love when it gets to his, like, he's doing cocaine all day and it's like, 4am, do cocaine seriously. It's like, <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's like oh, 11 at night, drop acid, ready to write. Yeah, ready to write, that's it. But, and then from like 3 o'clock, it's just watch copious amounts of porn until he like knocks himself out with like sleeping pills. Living life to the max, oh. that's like going everything at extremes. Yeah, see, I suppose he's another one that be a method writer. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a thing. And I suppose actors get all the credit, but they're like motivated people. They'd be like, I'm going to basically utilize my life for art. And I think like, it's, it's like, it is ro- romantic when they're dead, but at the time I'm sure that all the hunters fans are like, hey, you need to fucking slow <laughs> down, son. Like, <laughs> yeah. What did his mum think? It would be hard going around for Christmas dinner. Like, how you been, Hunter? It's like, I've been hanging around with the Hells Angels. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you feel did you feel like that you know you're sitting there about someone wanting to completely kind of give their life to art? Did you feel like that with music? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you always feel like an idiot for saying it, but you just like there'd be a time when I was recording the first couple, I'd be like, "This is it, take me!" Like I'm gonna just go full rabbit hole and dive into it, and then I mean, still there'd be like one day I want someone just to find me in like a den with like a fucking. I don't know, one of those water containers filled with acid, just <laughs> sipping it, just like, ah, and then just coming up with music. Be like, oh God, we found him, he's here. Like, and then be like, I've done it, here's all my records. Just distilling acid into music. <laughs> yeah, I think you need like life experiences and a full round spectrum to just to be sort of, like not normal, but at least feel like you're getting your tickets worth like for life. Like, I mean, there's definitely things I've wanted to do. And now I'm sort of like got to the point where it's like music. It's like, how much music do you have to make and create until you're you're happy with what you've released? Like I always feel like I think I'll I'll keep writing until the point I'm like I can't do any better. But at the moment I'm like every time I finish a record I'm like it's gonna be the best thing that I've ever like can do physically and like I want it to be the best thing I've listened to and and then sort of when I finish it I'm like nah I can fucking do better. So that's what sort of my motivation that keeps me pushing. But I'm sure there's people like. Like, Orson Welles, like, his first film, 
was like one of the best films ever made, like Citizen Kane. And then, Never going to top it. Yeah, exactly. So he just became like this guy who's just like sort of hide, like hid out. That would be that would be harder if you sort of were known as like this prodigy or he set the bar himself. So he was only going to be able to beat himself. So maybe he gave up. He made some great films though. Like when you Dude. look at the kind of stuff he did throughout the 50s yeah. and 60s and even... You ever seen uh, F or Fake came out like in 75 nah. or 70 or nah. something? It's really, it's on YouTube, I think, or it used to be. It's like this documentary about like trickery and it's just, it's so well done. It's, oh. just, it's a perfect film. I'd recommend checking it out. I'll definitely watch that. I'll watch that tonight. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think him though, like, I suppose it was just media that did him. I really liked his, um, that documentary that came out about him. What was the Awesome Wells one? It's on Netflix. About that mo- movie he never finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they finished yeah. the movie and put that out as well. Yeah, that's right. Because then he, he had like four leading actresses that he was all dating all four and then would recast the movie because he'd break up with his girlfriend. Nuts, yeah. So, yeah, like, oh man, so ridiculous. I loved how uh, him and Winston Churchill were good friends, weren't they? I never knew that. Yeah, apparently they used to hang out and like sort of towards the end of their lives together and they'd just go and get like stupidly drunk in some like uh, Mediterranean like yeah island living life that's sick it's so nice that you know like two great people were like hanging out at some some time i wonder what this book about what, how does that convert how does that <laughs> conversation go down like almost similar though aren't they i'd say both like, like cigars yeah that's it both big boys who like cigars <laughs> who've just sort of already done their great work and now like yeah calming down in their older years but by stepping it up i don't think they played golf I think Winston Churchill was a good golf fan, was he? Nah, I don't. Was he had that quote? It's like golf is a good way to spoil a good war. <laughs> <laughs> what you saying there, though, about them yeah. kind of having both made their best work? Does what motivates you to make music change now that you've kind of put out a few bodies of work that you're really proud of? Does that affect how you kind of progress moving forward? I suppose you never want to try and emulate what you've done too much. Like I really liked High Visceral, so I was like High Visceral Two kind of just seemed like instinctively like I'll keep in that same vein. So, and then obviously Whatchamacallit was different to those two. Now the fourth one's different. I think just trying to always keep going until you've always got a lot of run out of ideas, I suppose, about sounds. The good thing about it is if eventually you get to a stage where you're like, I don't have any ideas, and you'd be like, oh, let's do a high visceral part three, and then like keep going that way. Like, I, there was also, I wanted to do like a Whatchamacallit part two and just call every album like the same. So if they're themed differently enough, it'd be like, and people really like that, you're like, sweet, let's just go back in and do another record. So I know Gizzard doing like another microtonal record for the next one they're releasing. So because everyone really enjoyed that. So do you know what I mean? It's like it's a good way of uh, being able to s- stick with your fan base as well. I don't know. Just keep keeping that uh, train of thought like going along. Like because imagine if you were like you went to like John was it John Villeneuve or John Villeneuve or whatever. If you were like, mate, I want to see more Blade Runner. It's like sweet. I want to see it too. We make Blade Runner too. It's like yeah, like. Because I know the world is crying out for like you and McGregor to do like an Obi Wan Kenobi film, which would just be sick. He's doing a TV show, isn't he? Is that what it is? It's being a TV show. I think he's been announced. Yeah, they're doing like a, an eight, se- eight episode <laughs> run or something. That's been like a Reddit thing for years, hasn't it? It's been like we just want to see Obi Wan. But I, I, that's I think that was the reason as well. We I called High Visual Part One because I always I like I love George Lucas's like. Uh, ambition to be like yeah the first one's actually like it's part four like the first film do you know what I mean like that's genius and then so he I don't even think he knew that he was gonna be like you can't just release a movie and be like yeah it's gonna be uh, 
this one's going to be a trilogy and then we're also going to do another trilogy before it's like you almost have to wait and see how it goes so yeah ambitious is the only words to really describe that but fuck man it's like built an empire in one film i know it's great changed cinema forever <laughs> yeah it has i thought there was a couple of things as well about you got rotten tomato and imdb ratings or whatever but the way that uh box office grossing is probably the highest way of looking at a film i think the the last one just released was the highest of all star wars movies or the, maybe it was the first one of the part of this trilogy. Yeah, I think it was the first one. First one, yeah. But I think everyone wants to see that. Do you know what I mean? They wait another 10 years and they'll be like, everyone's going to be like, sweet, I can't wait to watch another Star Wars. It's like, they can just keep pummeling them out. Still think Rogue One was the best. That's my favourite Star Wars. Yeah, I like the way it looked. I thought it was sick. I thought it was good. Good ending. Yeah. I enjoyed, Man, the ending was sick. Like, that's all the movie needs. And then you just, because you just go straight instantly, like, I'm going to watch A New Hope, like, right now. Like, that's what they're gonna do. Just put it on the movies. I'm staying. <laughs> Just go. Yeah. You know, he's speaking about box office as well. How do you judge success for your own music? What are you kind of measuring that off of? Oh, that's a weird one, hey? You never feel... I, I suppose back in when you first started, you'd be like, even just having music on Spotify is a form of success. Like, that to us when we're like, yeah, we're a real band now. Like, we're music's on Spotify. Just to even play a gig on a Saturday night. Like, we were always a weekday band and... And then we eventually got to do a gig on a Saturday, so that felt like a step up. And I think the idea of success is always pushing forward. Do you know what I mean? You're always looking at the next step. So I suppose now it'd be really nice to... Final, I think, is the ultimate feeling of success. Even if no one buys a record, you're like, but you got pressed a record and you have it at home, and you're just like, all right, I did something. I did something I could show people. Like, it's physical. It looks like that's the... It's his final form of the way that I think music should be. So it's like, just to have a, a record that I suppose goes down well in like the vinyl community, that would probably be the best form of success, I think. If you just spoke to someone like about other records and they're like, oh yeah, like, I've heard that record, like, or I have it in their collection, you can just be like, what? Like, that would be really cool. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 